0: My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 92. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to another edition of My Car Guru. I've been a busy little puppy getting my new business going. It's going to be called Green Outdoor. So where's the name come from? Well, Green, because we're in Green County. So it's, it's not the color green. It has an extra E on it, uh, just like Greenville has an extra E there. A lot of people don't know that. Greenville, South Carolina, spelled differently, spelled like the color. So the outdoor part, well, we sell stuff for the outdoors. We sell Ferris, zero-turn mowers and stand-up mowers and blowers and you name it. If it's heavy duty, Ferris makes it. We also sell Simplicity lawnmowers. That's a name from the past. This is for the person who wants an unbelievably smooth yard because of the way the mowers are made. It's kind of like a just a regular old lawn tractor, you know, like an old John Deere or something like that. has a steering wheel. Definitely not a zero-turn mower, but some people still like those. And then Snapper. Snapper is still in the mowing game, believe it or not. We're also going to sell uh, Shindaiwa, which you've probably never heard of it, but it's made by Echo. Maybe you've heard of that. They sell blowers and spreaders and weed eaters and chainsaws and stuff like that. The difference between Shindaiwa and, like, old steel or let's see, Husqvarna or somebody like that, is that all of these are made in Japan. Now, why would that mean anything? You remember when Made in Japan was junk? You know, that was back in the, uh, after World War II and then the end of the 50s and stuff. Made in Japan meant cheap. Well, when the Hondas and the Toyotas of the world started really invading these shores, um, cheap did not was not associated with Japan anymore. Japan was quality. Still is, and that's one of the reasons I really like these uh, Shandaiwa weed eaters and blowers and stuff like that. Now, there are some that are built in the United States, which which is also good. The company is just owned by a company in Japan, and I can't pronounce the name of that company. But these are really good high-end products. People Basically... They have an electric line also, which I'm going to buy for myself, an electric weed eater. I think that's going to be cool because I get tired of mixing the the gas and oil. So no more trips to the gas station for my weed eater or my blower. I do a lot of yard work. I need this stuff. And so I just decided to build a company based on that. So we're going to sell uh, golf carts as well by Bentelli. So look it up, Bentelli golf carts they are amazing these are street legal golf carts and they have everything from built-in stereo systems backup cameras they seat four and six people they have grab handles everywhere just to keep you from falling out they have seat belts turn signals horns glass windshield windshield wipers pretty cool and they're very affordable so we're going to be selling those as well we've already got some of those some of this stuff in what else? Oh, we're selling Gator Maid trailers. GatorMade trailers are very heavy-duty trailers. They, they make fairly light-duty trailers as well, but most of their emphasis is really hauling heavy stuff. And so if you're hauling a tractor or a car, for that matter, or if you need a dump trailer, something that has a power dump on it, that's really cool. These are, you know, landscapers use them. I own one. I don't own a Gator Maid, but I probably will. I've had one for some time, and that's very handy when you have as much ground to take care of as I do, and you like go get mulch and you don't want to have to shovel it out, you just soon dump it. Well, that's what these are for. Also, Bravo trailers we're going to sell. Those are enclosed trailers, everything from small utility trailers to trailers that you can haul a car or two in. So those are really good. And what I like about Bravo trailers is just the quality. It's just a unique kind of a utility trailer that doesn't have some of the junky attributes of some of the other ones. I wanted something that was really nice, not necessarily really cheap. So that's what I went for. And we're going to sell high-end patio furniture and umbrellas and accessories for the for the outdoors in addition to bull grills and outdoor kitchens. So we're going to be selling all of that. So it's going to be exciting. It's called Green Outdoor. You'll be able to check it out later on at greenoutdoor.com. You can't yet, but you will be able to. So we'll be in business, probably be opening in September. So let's move on. Let's talk cars for just a minute. I am going to review something that's very important today. Many of the phone calls that I get are people that have been referred to me by people like you who listen to this broadcast and maybe have listened for several years and been through my entire portfolio a number of times, you know I'm like a boomerang. Sometimes it comes back, right back to you. Because there's uh, there's there's a lot of things to talk about as far as the car industry is concerned, the history of the car business and all that. I mean, I just it's hard to run out of topics, but. One that keeps coming back is the, I guess, the potential for getting ripped off. And it's because of many of the characters that come in and out of the car business, not the ones who stay in it for the long haul. I mean, if you look at some of the dealerships in our area, for example, in Upper East Tennessee, you're going to find a lot of stability. Now, some of them have changed hands you know, some of the dealerships have been sold out to larger corporate entities, and they're, you know, well-run organizations, and they want to maintain their reputation. Others have been, you know, just family businesses forever. I mean, we've had a, a big change in Kingsport recently, uh, as where a bunch of dealerships changed hands. Uh, there was a, a number in Johnson City and Upper East Tennessee. It's happening all the time. Now there are some fairly stable. Uh, dealers that have been around, like the Friendship Group, for example. Mitch Walters and his team, you know, he started small, and now, I don't know, he probably has 20, 25 dealerships now. Um, and, you know, you can look at the Wallace organization. You know, they sell Subarus and um, Volkswagens, and I think, Hyundais. Is a Hyundai? I can't remember. But a lot of these organizations are reliable. Now, you might have a bad character, that is waiting on you. And I've tried to to help people understand some of the early signs that there there might be a problem. And so these are the people that that call in, you know, and I appreciate you referring them to me. typically they they won't call my cell phone. I don't know whether you guys forget my easy to remember cell phone number, but many times they call the switchboard and leave a message. and I always try to call them back. Um, well, I always call them back if I get the message and I talked to one just the other day that was a referral and it was about a situation that they would like to get out of because they bought too much car. They didn't know what they were buying. They didn't read the contract. It's all that same old stuff, you know, that we talk about all the time. Well, not all the time, but a lot of the time you have to be reminded because, you know, an automotive purchase is not something that you do every month or even every year well some people do but you know it's it's a you might do it every five years every 10 years and you just don't remember all the things that we talk about or you don't even listen to the show if you know a young person that may be getting ready to graduate from college or high school or something like that going to be going out on their own buying cars and stuff like that for goodness sake uh, give them the address to the podcast. You know, tell them about my car guru, and they can go in and they can search all of the different topics that we cover. And one of the most important ones is just to be ready when you walk in the store. So I'm going to take my first break. I'll be back in just one minute to start this very important list of things you need to pay attention to. Okay, I am back. You know, one of the things that I encourage people to do is if you go into a store, it's kind of easy to go in with your guard up and to be very defensive from the get-go. I wouldn't do that. I would just be nice, introduce yourself, get the salesperson's name, get his business card, listen to what he has to say. But because he's going to give you he or she are going to give you some clues. One of the first clues is if they ask you how much money you're wanting to spend per month. They want you to tell them, how much do you want your monthly payment to be? They may say, "Well, what's your budget?" Or they may say, what's your monthly payment? Are you what what kind of monthly payment are you paying now? You know, that's a lead-in right there because a lot of these people that a lot of these dealers want you to focus on the monthly payment. Now, Lenny, why do you say that? You say that a lot. Well, the reason is because if the customer focuses on the monthly payment, they're not focusing on the most important thing, which is what they're paying for the car. How much they're getting for their trade-in. And what the trade difference is. If you take A minus B equals C. C is what you have to pay, what you're really paying for the car. Because you've got, um, that's the amount that you have to finance. Now if you have a payoff on on your trade-in, then that payoff doesn't just, you know, disappear. It's not like you're on Star Trek where they take your payoff and beam it into outer space. No, it stays with you. It follows you around. And a lot of people owe more on their cars than what the car is actually worth. But you have to be aware of all these numbers. So if you get a salesperson that really early in the conversation said, Well, how much, what kind of monthly payment are you looking for? Look out because he's been trained to say that. And when they present numbers to you, so you've picked out a car. You've walked around a lot, of test-driven stuff. Let's say you've developed a nice little rapport with the salesperson and everything's going good. You like him, you like the car. And then they bring you the numbers of what it's going to cost to trade. And they may tell you what the sale price is and the trade value, but they've also got the payment. Sometimes they'll just quote a payment. We can get this car done for you for four fifty dollars a month. Well, what's the term? Oh, that's uh, 84 months. Well, what's the interest rate? Um, it's uh, 7.9. Well, how much am I paying for the car? What's the selling price on the car? Oh, well, hold on a second. I have to go talk to my manager. Look out. It's coming. They're going to try to close you on the monthly payment. What you need to do is if they say, how much are you looking for as far as a monthly payment is concerned? You say, well, that's not important. I want to look at the car. Pick the car. I want to know what the selling price is on the car, how much you're going to pay me for my trade, and how much trade difference it is. You mean payment doesn't matter? Not yet. Doesn't matter yet. I want to know what I'm paying for the car first, and then we'll talk about the monthly payment. How's that strike you? Okay. Now, one of the big advertising ploys, you hear a lot, you hear a lot around here, is uh, a lot of diggers will say, well, we'll pay you $10,000 over book value for the for your trade-in. Now, is that possible? Can they really do that? No, they can't do that. They can't even do $5,000 over book value for your trade. Otherwise, they would pay you that for your trade without you buying something else, wouldn't they? I mean, if your car's worth $5,000 more than book value to them, then just sell it to them. Get a check. Oh, you mean you'll write me a check for, uh, for $5,000 over book value for my trade? Oh, uh, no. No. It doesn't work that way. You have to buy something first. So how could they do that? Well, the way they do it is they mark up the one that you're looking at, the car that you're thinking about buying. So in order to be able to give you $8,000 over book value for your trade, they've got to mark up the new one, $8,000. They've got to have enough margin to work with because your car is worth what it's worth. It's not worth some inflated number. They're going to look at a book value. They're going to... You know, do a little research. We use a thing called Fastbook. Uh, a lot of other dealers use something called ProVision. But it takes all of the auction data, you know, as far as what cars are, are bringing at auto auctions. It takes, uh, like, Kelly Blue Book and NADA. It takes all that information and puts it in a table for us so that we can see what the averages are. And then we have to take into account mileage, condition, and what kind of options and features the car has. Then we come up with a number. That is the number that we're actually paying you for your car, and that's the number that those guys are actually paying for your car. They aren't giving you $8,000 over book value for your trade. If they are, they're just discounting the one that you're buying, and they're going to make it up somewhere, folks. Where are they going to make it up? Well, if you're a payment buyer, they're going to make it up by talking about the monthly payment and not talking about the sale price because they don't want you to see that you're really not getting $8,000 over book value for your trade. They want you to focus on that monthly payment, because that's what most people do. They shouldn't, but that's what they do, because that's how they live, right? I mean, most people live paycheck to paycheck, and they know how much they can afford to pay out per month, and they ignore the, the purchase price. Such a big mistake. Okay, let's talk about something else. So it's very important to pay attention to the advertising that you hear and see. This, you know, eight, ten, twelve thousand dollars over book value for your trade—that's just a—it's not real. And you know, the dealers that that promote that know that it's effective, and they figure out a way to to balance it all out and to overcome it with word tracks that they're trained to use by the managers. So it's it's unfortunate. You know, maybe someday. Uh, vehicles will all be just like, you know, going to Walmart and picking something off the shelf, and you pay whatever the price is. And it's been kind of that way for the last couple of years during the pandemic with all the shortages. MSRP was a good deal, and it's still that way to a large extent. But there are still some vehicles that are in just crazy short supply, like Ford Mavericks, and of course, I don't know about a lot of other brands that, that, you know, what's really short. I know General Motors has vehicles. Toyota's you know, for the most part are very hard to get, Toyota Tacomas and so forth. So people are paying over MSRP for them. And that's just the way it is. It's it's more market-based pricing than it is, you know, focusing on the retail, what the official retail price is. I mean, the market-based prices. is, you know, this is just the going market. It's like a fruit stand. You know, sometimes oranges are more. If they have a, you know, a big freeze down in Florida, then what happens to the price of oranges? They go up because there aren't as many to choose from. It's the law of supply and demand. Okay, so watch out for something called the bait and switch. It's, uh, it's kind of a fishing term, but they bait you. You know, They put this on the hook, and they stick it in the water. And then all of a sudden that fish realized, wait a minute, that's not a real worm. That's a plastic worm. He thought he was getting a real worm, but no, it's, it's plastic. He's so disappointed, but he bites it anyway. Okay, so this is what happens to a lot of consumers is they they hear an ad, they hear some type of come on. You know, for example, buy this car or get this vehicle for $249 a month. You go in to buy the one for $249 a month. It's sold. They don't have any more of those. Or it was a lease and they just didn't do a very good job disclosing it. So you're you're all excited about buying this. You know, new vehicle, whether it's small truck or small car or whatever, for two forty nine a month, and come to find out, you've got to pay five thousand dollars up front. It's a thirty six month lease, and uh, at the end of that, you don't own anything. Now, I'm not I'm a fan of leasing. I lease my wife's uh, uh, Nissan Pathfinder. We leased it; such a good deal. You know, the, just really, really low payments for two years. And then she gets another one in two years. I kind of like that. you know. And she didn't drive many miles, so it's a a 12,000-mile-a-year lease, and that's fine for her driving. But that's not for everybody. I mean, if you go in and and you think it's a purchase and you lease it, and you say, well, honey, this will be okay. So you normally drive 25,000 miles a year, and that lease is based on 12. Are you in for a big surprise when the lease terminates? Because if they don't disclose it to you, you're going to owe about twenty cents a mile for every mile you went over the limit. So that's not a good surprise. Plus, you got dents in the doors and dings and star in the windshield and you know a big stain in the seat and stuff. You turn it in and they charge you to straighten all of that out. So you get another bill in the mail and you call your dealer and you're mad because. I thought you said I could just turn this thing in. Well, you can turn it in, but you're responsible for wear and tear that you don't take care of. Surprise! So watch out for that bait and switch. Okay, so a lot of people are buying over the on the Internet, okay? So they are going online, they're doing a search themselves, and they find a, a new F-350 at some dealership in South Carolina. And so they call them, and they want to know what they can get for their trade-in. Well, the dealer in South Carolina, what does he want? He wants you to show up on his lot and come get this truck. So what do they do? Well, they highball you on your trade-in. They paint a rosy picture, and they always say, now this is subject to us looking at it, but I think we could pay as much as such and such for your vehicle. What That number sticks in your head and you go to South Carolina, you plan your little trip, make hotel reservations, drive all the way down there and there's that F350 sitting there waiting on waiting on you. But then it's a, now we have to appraise your trade-in. Oh, I thought you were going to give me this much for it. Well, no, that was before we saw it. Now that we see it, we've got to really drive it and see what we can really give you. Oh, okay. So they drive it, they come back and they hit you about 3 grand less than what what they said before. And you're upset. You said, doggone it, I thought it was worth more than that. But you go ahead and do it anyway. Why? Because you drove to South Carolina. You got hotel reservations, and you already told everybody at home you're coming back with a new vehicle. So your pride gets in the way sometimes. Uh, some people would just leave and, and do probably what they should do, but not everybody. Okay, one of the final ones I want to mention is the spot delivery, and I'll, I'll talk about what that is right after this break. Okay, Lenny, so what is a spot delivery? Well, that's when your financing has not been approved. They don't know if they're going to be able to get you done or not. It's Spot deliveries happen most of the time because somebody has very marginal credit, and the first two or three banks that they've called it into have turned it down. And that all happens here at the dealership. So they think they're going to be able to get it done. They're not 100% sure, but but they don't want you going to any other dealers over the weekend. So let's say you're there on a Friday. So they will do a spot delivery. They'll have you sign an an agreement, which states that, and they might even, some of them may have you go ahead and sign a contract. And I wouldn't do that. But the reason they want you to sign a contract is because it makes you feel more obligated to actually go through with the deal. So what happens, they they do this spot delivery. You take it home that night you don't hear anything on Saturday, you keep it all day Sunday, drive to church and everything. Everybody's saying, Boy, you sure have a nice new car, you know, and then on Monday they call you back and say, We need you to come in. What for? Well, we need you to sign another contract. Oh, okay. So you go in and that other contract is at 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 14.9%. Wait a minute. I thought I was going to get to 2.9. Well, you don't qualify for that. It's 14.9. Your payment's going to go up $175 a month. Well, we can't afford that. Well, we've already sold your trade in, so you don't have much choice. You have a choice. All you have to do is say, give me my car. Give me my keys. Here's yours. Okay. You can walk away from that. But what happens is they'll, they'll put tremendous amount of pressure on you to stay in that deal, but you do not have to. The key to this is not to sign anything. If they want to let you take it home for the weekend, fine. You just drive it home for the weekend. Don't sign a contract until you know for a fact what your terms are going to be, the interest rate, the term, you know, the, the price. Sometimes dealers have to pay a fee. If somebody has really bad credit in order to get the bank to buy it, the dealers have to pay a fee up front. They're not supposed to add that to the selling price of the car, but many do. So watch out for those spot deliveries. There's just a lot of little potholes you know, that you can hit if you really don't know what you're doing. And so it's better to maybe ref- get a little refresher. If you've got somebody that's getting ready to go out and buy a car, send a text to me, 423-552-2020. I'll give them some things to watch out for in writing, or I'll talk to them on the phone. This is what I do in my old age is help people keep from making mistakes, buying, selling, trading, servicing cars. It's really easy for me to do that. It's a pleasure. It's an honor for me to do that for folks. It's a mission. That's what I call it. It's my mission. So take advantage of me. Lord knows a lot of other people do. 423-552-2020, Lenny Lawson at, I'm sorry, Lenny Lawson 2020 at gmail.com. Those are the best ways to get me. Well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru, and I will talk to you next time.